0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church, an outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message.
1: The Bible says over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days, perilous times will come. Times of stress, difficult times, troublesome times. And then it tells you why. For men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Lovers of money, boasters. And it goes on and on, just talking about the people's mentality who are going to be living in the last days. Well, that's the time you and I are living in. And so we need wisdom from God to know how to navigate through these times. And you know, as we get closer and closer to the end of the end times, where there's going to be a great tribulation the Bible talks about, we don't know if we're the generation that's going to see that or not. But we need to be ready. We need to be Prepared, And so to help us get prepared, the Lord had me last week go to the book of Jude. And the book of Jude just happens to be the last book of the Bible before the book of Revelation. We're just going through it verse by verse. And we started last week, and we made it all the way up to, I believe we left off at verse 9. And that's where we're going to pick it up tonight. So let's just ask God for some revelation. You have to ask him tonight. I've, I've prayed for you, but now you, you ask. You know, the Bible says you have not because you, you ask not. Uh, so you have to do some asking, okay? And of course, when you ask, you activate your faith to receive. So that's why you need to ask. So let's pray this together. Say this, Heavenly Father, grant me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you tonight. As I get in your word with Pastor Stephen Frazier. I ask you to teach me. Talk to me. Show me great and wonderful things. Things that will help me to navigate through these times. And live a victorious life. Amen. Praise God forever. Well, in review of Jude, uh, over in verse 1, let's just read that. It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Notice he talks about being sanctified. That's a big part to making it in these last days, to live a sanctified life. And that means to be separate from profane things. Then, of course, in verse 2, he says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So mercy, peace, and love are the three things that he wants you to receive from this epistle. We are going to hear about Judgment, we are going to hear about the wrath of God. We're going to hear some pretty rough things. We did hear some pretty rough things last time as we were in the book. But the thing that we're to walk away with is a greater revelation and understanding of the mercy, peace, and love of God in our life. So that's the purpose of the epistle. So now I'm going to jump ahead to verse 9 because that's, like I said, where we left off last time. Verse 9, it says, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a reviling accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these, these people of the last days, these people who are lovers of themselves, who have a form of godliness, but they aren't really godly. They aren't living for God. They aren't following his plan for their life. He says, these folks speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know, naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Now, I want you to notice here that Michael the archangel, there was a time where... He and the devil, Satan, got into it over the body of Moses. You remember back there in the Old Testament that it was time for Moses to go home to the Lord, uh, that he climbed the mountain, he overlooked the promised land, and then the Bible says he was healthy, he was strong, uh, his eyes were not dim, nor were his natural forces abated, I mean, he was a strong, healthy man at 120 years of age. And it said, but then the Lord took him. His spirit departed from his body, and the Lord buried his body. So nobody knows where Moses was buried to this day. And I can give you some reasons probably why God did it that way. But nevertheless, there was an argument that broke out. Satan wanted access to the body of Moses, and so you know the devil, he's a profane individual. You know he's a vile individual. Uh, you know, you think of some of these people. in fact, just the other day, I there was some uh, there was people from the water company that working down the block from our house, and um, I went over over to them. I thought it was MSD uh, because somebody had pulled a sewer cap off. Uh, near my property, and I I wanted them to, you know, fix it, so I walked over, and I, there was a guy sitting in a truck, and so I said, hey, so he opened the door, and I said, uh, told him about the situation, and he said, it was vulgar, let's just do that, let's just say that, so he said some vulgar things, I said, excuse me, so he said something vulgar again, so uh, I finally, you know, got the answer that I needed from him, but it was after hearing some vulgarity, They're saying, he just got to, you know, that's just kind of how he talked. Well, you know, you think about people and uh, sinners and how vulgar they could be. Well, who inspires all that? The devil. Satan inspires that. Well, now here's Mr. Vulgar himself talking to Michael the archangel, and it's getting to be a heated conversation. And so who knows what at this point is coming out of this vile creature's mouth. The kind of things that he's saying to this holy angel of God. And the angel of God just looked at him and said, The Lord rebuke you. (laughs) The Lord rebuke. And notice it says, He dared not bring a reviling accusation against Satan. Now how many people know? I'm sure Michael could accuse Satan of a whole lot of things. But he refused to revile him. He refused to revile him. But he did rebuke him. Now, there's a difference between rebuke and reviling. And we need to understand this when dealing with authority. Authority figures. Again, at that time, Satan was ruling over mankind. Adam had given his authority, his dominion that God had given him in the beginning. You remember in Genesis where God gave dominion to man. Well, man, Adam, he gave that dominion to Satan when he bowed his knee to the devil's temptation. He turned over that authority and dominion to the devil. And so the devil became the god of this world. So, at that time, Satan has authority, legally, over the earth. Michael recognized that authority, and therefore dared not bring a reviling accusation against... No, a reviling accusation, a reviling accusation. He rather rebuked him. He rebuked him. Now, to rebuke, that word means strong correction... Strong correction to oppose, stand against respectfully. So he stood up to Satan respectfully, he rebuked him, he corrected him. Now, to revile him is to insult him, and you got to watch because today there's a lot of people that just feel free to just insult and curse leaders governors, right, politicians, whatever, senators, just curse them, ridicule them, insult them, say embarrassing things about them. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff like that on social media, just people spewing out all kinds of stuff. Now, what they're complaining about might have some truth to it. In fact, it might be completely true. The person that they're talking about might be completely guilty of what they're saying. But it's how they say it, how they handle it, that's important. And we have to watch when we see things that aren't right. You know, we, we got to watch how we respond to that. We don't want to react in the flesh. We want to respond from our spirit. We want to respond in faith. We want to respond in love. Now, if you remember, this past Sunday, I was teaching some things, and I was talking about how love covers, but light exposes. And we, we're to have both. We're, we're supposed to walk in... We are the light of the world, and of course, we're to walk in love, the love of God. So we need to understand the balance of these, thing, of these two things. We're going we're to love, we're going to do things in love, but at the same time... We're going to expose what needs to be exposed. We're going to speak up and say what needs to be said. But we're going to do it with the right motives, with the right heart, in the right way. We're going to do it in love. We're going to be considerate of other people. We're going to be considerate of the people we're talking to and the person or persons we're talking about. See? That doesn't mean, oh, I'm walking in love so I just keep hush and I don't say anything. No, there's a time to rebuke. There's a time to, to bring correction. There's a time to oppose something that is wrong. you got to oppose these things. we got to stand up because we're also called the salt of the earth. So we got to preserve. Preserve the earth. Preserve our nation. Preserve our freedoms. The things, there's things we have to speak up about. But watch how we do it. Make sure you're doing it in the love of God. All right, we don't. We can might be. We might have to be harsh sometimes. The Bible says, uh, you know, that harsh correction is for those who depart from the way, those who forsake the way. There's harsh correction for those who forsake the way, but harsh doesn't have to be hateful. See, you don't have to be hateful. Sometimes you have to be firm. Sometimes you have to be really, really harsh about what, you know, to get the point across. But again, you're trying to bring help. You're trying to bring deliverance. You know, fear is hateful. Fear panics. When people get into strife with each other, they're panicking. They're panicking over something. They start yelling at each other. That volume starts getting higher. They start going. They start tearing. Now they start tearing each other down. And they both might have a good point in what they're saying, but they're both completely wrong. If they're getting hateful, full of strife, and are now tearing down one another. No, we got to stay in the love of God. We're not going to tear down the other person. We're not going to seek to destroy them to advance what we want or what we believe. They're wrong. They're wrong. And now we're out here condemning and just criticizing and ridiculing. No, that's not love. There's a time to stand up and oppose and deal with these things. But we got to do it right. we got to do it in faith, not fear, being led by the Spirit of God. No fear. Everybody say, no fear. That's right. There's no excuse for fear. Glory to God, the Lord is here. The Lord is with us. He's our defense. He's going to help us. And in a lot of things, you know, really, the Lord has to illuminate the understanding of the people that need to be corrected. I mean, some folks, they're just, they're just blinded spiritually. They can't see what they're doing. They're walking in the darkness, and then just to get up there and just keep trying to correct them and straighten them out without the help of the Lord to come in there and open their eyes and deliver them from the powers of darkness, demon spirits, you could just be wasting your time. So, you know, we bring correction in faith knowing, hey, the Holy Spirit, He's working through my words to get this crooked place straightened out. To get this corrupt situation taken care of. The Lord is working through my faith. Amen. So that's the attitude. Faith working by love. That's how we deal with things. But you know, even among leaders in the church, is there ever a time for them to be corrected? Well, over in Galatians chapter 2, the apostle Paul is writing and he says in verse 14. But when I saw that they, those in the church, the church leaders especially, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, the apostle Peter, you are talking about Peter who walked on the water with Jesus. I said, This is Paul talking. He said, I said to Peter before them all, in front of everybody, if you being a Jew, Live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? See, he's bringing to light some hypocrisy that was taking place in the church, even with the leadership, even with the Apostle Peter, because they were in fear. They were in fear about certain people that were coming from James, from the, from the church at Jerusalem that were, that were coming. And so they, when, the, when they came, then Peter changed who he hung out with and who he was around, which is being a hypocrite. He wasn't being straightforward about things. And so because Peter was doing it, everybody else was doing it, right? So, you know, it must be okay if Peter's doing it. So they're all following the example uh, of Peter, and they're all being hypocrites. Paul saw this, and he confronted them. And he did it in front of everybody because of all the people that were involved in it. All these people were getting pulled into it. So he had to do it in front of them because that was the love thing to do, to help all of them. Now again, Paul wasn't just venting his feelings. He wasn't just, just, you know, he personally was offended and was going to straighten this thing out. And that's what a lot of people do. No, Paul here was being led by the Spirit of God. He was operating in the love of God, and so the love thing to do was to turn on the lights concerning this situation and get it corrected and make it right so you know if i got off if I mean if i if 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 I ever stop preaching the truth, if I get off, I go off on some kind of tangent and it's not the Word of God, then you have all the right in the world to come and question that, and I welcome it i mean uh I've written some books, I've put out some materials, I've given it to ministers. I've said, now, I know this is controversial, and I uh, happen to know it's completely biblical, but uh, I want you to look at it, and if because I knew they disagreed with the doctrine. I said, I-, I want you to tell me, you know, if you see anywhere where I, I get off and I-, I don't have it right, I want you to point that out to me, you, you know, with Scripture. You no, Please do, and I welcome it especially when you know you're right. But anyway. So, uh, I gave them, you know, gave it to, you know, people would come back and say, "Well, I just disagree with it. I don't I don't I don't quite believe." It. Well, tell me specifically what you mean. "Well, I just don't." They don't give me specifics. I want specifics. I want somebody to if I'm if I'm missing it, I want somebody to show me where I'm missing it. I welcome it from anybody. So, we should never be to the point where we can't be teachable or correctable. You never, never get to the place where well, I'm a minister now, and I preach to people or whatever, and, I, and I, you know, I'm above correction. That's ridiculous. That's, we're a work in progress, and we need to let, number one, the Holy Spirit correct us. We don't want to be in presumption about things. I want to I walk in the truth. I want to be accurate. And, uh, you know, when you're talking about Peter here, what was Peter's response to this? Well, Peter was a mature spiritual man. And so, I'm sure it didn't feel good, you know, getting rebuked like that, front, getting cracked in front of everybody. But, you know, what did he do? Did he sit there to stand up and fight with Paul about it? Did he say, how dare you come in here? I was walking with Jesus before you were even born again. How dare you? Did, is that what Peter did? No, what did he do? Well, if we go over to 2 Peter, uh, chapter 3, and in verse 15, we can get an idea of Peter's response. Because Peter actually brings it up. He brings up something that helps us to know where he's at with, with his relationship with the Apostle Paul. Let's put it that way. It says in verse 15, and consider, this is Peter talking from his epistle. Second Peter, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Doesn't sound like he has any hard feelings with Paul, does he? You see, I don't think that's a coincidence that God put that in the Bible, that had had Peter write that, because it helps us to see where's, where's Peter at with Paul on these things. You see that? What's, he, what's, what's Peter saying about it? Beloved. Our, our beloved brother, Paul. Hallelujah. Man, I wish everybody had that kind of response after I rebuked him. I, 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 wish, I wish everybody would have that kind of response after I, I've corrected them, Because, you know, I only correct people to help people. You know, Job said, "Happy is the man whom God corrects." I think if you have the right heart, the right attitude, you want to learn and grow, and you know you're not above correction, then you welcome it. And uh, it may not feel good, but your heart will be happy, especially if it helps adjust you and gets things straightened out for you. You'll you'll live much happier. So you know, happy is the man whom God corrects. But it also the Bible also says, "Whoever the Lord loves, He chastens." scourges, corrects. So if you don't correct people, do you really love them? I mean, that that really is the question. And I've had people get offended. They took it as rejection. They took correction as rejection. And that's just real sad. That people would take correction as rejection. Or who does he think he is? And I've had people actually respond that way. (sighs) How dare you talk to me this way? After all I've done, or after, or da 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 da, you know, how dare you talk to me this way? Well, what way am I talking to you? I'm correcting you. Isn't that love? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Don't you want help? Oh, how dare you? And pride just kind of hardens itself and resists it. Very sad. It's very sad that people reject love in the form of correction. Well, Peter didn't. Look what he says. Our beloved brother Paul. Hallelujah. He loves Paul. He's grateful that the man had the courage to stand up to what was going on and correct it in front of everybody. I mean, he risked, think about this. He risked not being liked by Peter. Do you understand who Peter was back in that day to the church folks? He was the man. He was the main man. He's the one that stood up and got 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. A lot of these people that got saved, I mean, this is the guy that did it. They are following Peter. And Paul is risking offending this man and turning Peter into an enemy. And one word from Peter about Paul that's negative could just really affect Paul's ministry in a great way, caused people not to want to listen to Paul. That Paul, don't listen to Paul. That Paul is rebellious. He's in pride. He's walking around thinking he's better than everybody else, correcting folks, trying to straighten everybody out. Oh, stay away from Paul. Peter could have done great damage to Paul's ministry. But love took the risk. I wasn't spending this much time on it, but it just, it's a very important thing to keep our hearts right, keep us over walk over in the love of God and how we deal with things in life. There's so much disrespect, dishonor going on around us, so much, so much reviling and criticizing and cutting people down. And there's some people they try to do it sweetly, you know? Well, you know. And they just start cutting. Cutting people down to other people. and But they try to act sweet about it. There's nothing sweet about that. There's nothing sweet about just cutting somebody down to try to make you look better and try to justify yourself. That's, that's an evil thing. So let's make sure our heart's are right. Let's be able to give correction correctly. And let's be able to receive it. Heat heated up. You know, in our conversation, maybe it's just time to just Pause. And back off. Just back off. Allow things to cool down and just get yourself over into faith. Get your eyes on the Lord. And let the Lord do the work. And He'll do the work through you, but you let Him do the work. Put your faith in God. Can you say amen for that? Praise God forever. Verse 11. Woe to them. Woe to them. Who? These guys that speak evil. Of whatever they don't know. And as brute beasts. They corrupt themselves in these things. We're talking about these guys. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. Have run greedily in the era of Balaam. For profit. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. Notice the word of God. Mentions here. Three different people. From the Old Testament. And, uh, and the reason why he gives us these three people. Because these three people represent a lot of the people that we deal with in these last days. And so we have to be able to recognize them. We have to be able to discern them. And deal with them correctly. So first he says the way of Cain. They've gone in the way of Cain. Cain, what was the way of Cain? Well, you remember, God came to Cain after he had given an offering. His brother Abel had also given an offering to God. But Cain's offering wasn't accepted. It wasn't acceptable, and we don't know the details behind that. But for whatever reason, it wasn't accepted. And so, Cain got mad about it. Abel's was accepted. Cain got mad about it. And God, being so good, you know, like a father, he comes to help Cain. And he says, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? He said, sin is at the door. And it's, uh, that's a different translation. I'm going to just give you the translation. I don't know what translation it is, but it's another translation. Uh, And and I say it so much that that's the translation that just kind of rolls up out of me. He said, Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Sin is the demon at the door whose urge is towards you. But you are to be its master. If you do well, will you not be accepted? That's what the Lord said to him. If you do well, will you do the right thing and you'll be accepted. Apparently, he did the wrong thing. Do the right thing, you'll be accepted. But if not, know this that sin is the demon at the door whose urge is towards you, but you are to be its master. Overcome it. So God brought correction to Cain. What did Cain do? Well, he didn't repent, he didn't do as he should. He didn't repent. You know, repentance will make you a master over sin. You, know, you might have fallen to sin, but if you'll get up and repent, bless God, it'll put you right back on top of it. But he didn't do that. And what did he do? Well, he went out to the field, talked with his brother, got his brother out there in the field, and he rose up against him and killed him, killed his brother. And so what is the way of Cain? What is the way of Cain that these people follow? They don't receive correction. They don't receive correction. They don't repent. That's number one. So we have to watch out. We don't want to go the way of Cain. Where we're corrected. We see where we've done wrong. God shows it to us. Maybe he shows it to us through somebody else. But we rise up against it, resist it, and don't repent. That's going the way of Cain. You don't want to go the way of Cain. And then secondly, what else? He conspired against his brother. Or we could say against the righteous. Because Cain's offering declared him righteous before God, according to Hebrews chapter 11. He rose up against the righteous. So he resists God, does not repent... And then rises up against the righteous. And there's a lot of folks like that. Even church folks. Not this church. But there are folks that do do that. They don't receive correction. They don't repent. They don't make adjustments. Instead, they go ahead and attack others. They attack attack those that are doing the right thing. And try to destroy them. Try to destroy their credibility. Thirdly, the Bible says he went out from the Lord... And uh, he went out from the presence of the Lord. He left God's presence. But no doubt, he probably continued with a form of godliness. See? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. That's a part of those who are of the last days. The lovers of themselves. So, he was a nomad. He was a wanderer. He went out, did his own thing. The error of Balaam is another example the Bible gives us of people of the last days. The era of Balaam. Well, what about Balaam? What was the era of Balaam? Well, you remember the king of Moab had called Balaam to come. Balaam was a prophet. And the king asked Balaam to curse Israel while they were out there in the wilderness. He said, curse Israel. He said, I can't. The Lord won't let me. So he offered him all kinds of money. The king offered this prophet all kinds of money. And uh, so Balaam tried to curse him. But everything that came out of his mouth was just blessings. He could not curse Israel. So the king was just mad. And and he went away upset. But then we see in Revelation chapter 2 that that wasn't the end of the story concerning Balaam. Over in Revelation, the second chapter, and in verse 14, it says, talking to the church at Pergamos, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine or teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, that's the king of Moab, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So what happened was, Balaam, he said, you know what, king? I the Lord won't let me curse them. But if you get some of your women to go over there and have a feast with them and be friends with them. Get them to sacrifice to idols and commit sexual immorality. He said, then they will be able to be cursed. I mean, think about this man Balaam. God has given him this kind of wisdom. The man knows God. He understands the blessing and the curse. He understands how God operates. He understands God's mercy, God's judgments. I mean, this man has gotten tremendous revelation from God. And what does he do with it? He goes, and in order to profit from it, in order to get money, in order to be rewarded richly from this king, he says, here, let me give you some wisdom. On how these people can become cursed. And then God won't be able to bless them. And it succeeded. And you can read about that in the book of Numbers. And they brought a great curse upon themselves, the children of Israel. Because they did exactly what Balaam set them up to do. So there are folks like Balaam that have been given great wisdom from God. They have understanding of spiritual laws. They understand the Scriptures, and they use it, and they twist it for their own good, for their own profit, to make money, to get famous, to cause people to follow them. But they're perverted, they're perverted, and they pervert the truth of God. And we need to be watchful. We need to be very watchful, because there's all kinds of folks out there like that. And I believe a lot of these folks have started out like Balaam, probably started out really good. They started out right. They started out on track. but Somewhere along the line, Satan seduced them. They got off course and started using their wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for themselves rather than to glorify God and to help others. And so we have to be sensitive and aware of these things. Thirdly, the third person that it brings up is the rebellion of Korah. Well, you remember, Korah was a Levite, and he was given charge over the priestly articles and things, and so he was a leader. God had given him leadership out there in the wilderness underneath Moses. And so, you know, he had a following of people, but the day came where, obviously, he was jealous of Moses and Aaron and felt like, you know, nobody needs to be following him. This pride just rose up. So sad. You see people, they're so zealous for God. They love God. They love the Word of God. They love the man of God, the Moses, the Aaron. Man, they just love the people of God. And then somewhere along the line, they get seduced by the devil and they just get into themselves. And they start loving themselves. Lovers of self, right? Lovers of self. Boasters. Bragging on themselves. Bragging on themselves. Even to themselves, they brag on themselves. Man, I'm so smart. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all the things that hell the money I've made. Look at all the things i got going on. You know, they just get into themselves. They think these thoughts in their mind. They might not dare say it to too many people, how they feel about themselves. But they love themselves. And so that's a big part of the last days, people that love themselves. The Bible said that's the way it's going to be. Well, again, start out right. They're given positions in church. They rise up. Even in government or wherever, any kind of position, here specifically, it's talking about the church, right? Israel, children of Israel, the children of God out there in the wilderness. Moses is God's leader. They rose up against him. He gathered people up to rise up against Moses and Aaron. It says in Numbers chapter 16, and in verse 3, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, watch watch what they say, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you, Moses and Aaron, exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Why do you exalt yourself? Well, I got news for you, Korah. And those that are following you, he isn't exalting himself. God has exalted him. God has put him into that position. God has given him that position. But you see, the rebellion of Korah does not acknowledge God-appointed leaders as God-appointed They just look at them as they're just trying to exalt themselves. And they do that because they're guilty of that very thing. They want to exalt themselves. Romans chapter 2 says, uh, You who judge another are guilty of that very same thing. Might be packaged a little differently, but you're guilty of it. Rest assured. If you're judging, you're guilty of what you're judging that person of. What you're criticizing that person of. So... He says, you exalt yourself. See, they don't acknowledge God has exalted that person. God has put that person into that position. If they did, they'd be a whole lot slower to speak against them because you'd be speaking against God. So we have to be aware of that. We have to be very aware of that. You can get yourself in trouble. Korah got himself in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Oh, that were with him, you know. And Moses said, you know, if God does a new thing and opens the earth and swallows these people up, you know that the Lord has anointed me to be leader in Israel. And that's what happened. The earth opened up and all those people went down alive into hell. Think about that. They went down alive right into hell. And that's where they are to this day. Well, they were saved. They were believers. They became leaders in the, in the, in the work of God. And they're in hell today. They're in hell today, see? So we have to guard ourselves. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to watch. We've got to keep ourselves from pride. And there'll be people that would gather around you and try to draw you into pride, try to draw you into the same rebellion. And they'll come with seducing words. Watch about seducers. Lots of seducers in these last days. Lots of folks that want to seduce you into immoral relationships, seduce you with money, try to get you to use your position, uh, your power for selfish gain. There's all kinds of seducers out there in the world today, and you've got to watch it. You've got to watch people will pull on your flesh and just say all kinds of things to you that make you feel good about yourself and snare you. Bring you into their snare. We gotta watch ourselves. But you know what? These three people can be countered by three other people. Who are they? Over Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 13. It says, Son, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. So here, the Bible mentions these three guys, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Those guys are a part of the last days. But what about these other three guys over here? That's what we need in these last days. To counter, to counter Cain, Balaam, and Korah, we need who? We need Noah, Daniel, and Job. We need those kind of folks. And we can break their lives down. And what made them so great in the sight of God. But here, if if a nation sins and it keeps persisting in unfaithfulness, it can get to the point where these great intercessors can only deliver themselves and nobody else in that nation. Thank God we're not at that point. We're not at that point. Thank God we can intercede for America and get things turned around so there is not a famine in the land, right? And all this destruction comes. Thank God we can get everything turned around. And we believe, God, it is turning around the things that we're facing right now as a nation. Because we're interceding. We're rising up. We're taking the place of of Daniel, Noah, Job. We're taking their positions of intercession, being godly, and being a light to this world, to this generation. Can you say amen? Praise God. Well, let's go on to verse 12. Verse 12, these are spots in your love feasts. Again, talking about these self-seeking people. Now he's talking about here, right here in the church. He said they are spots in your love feast. When God looks at the love feast, church is a love feast, you know, right? When we come together at church, it's a love feast. We're feasting on the good word of God, man. God is feeding us good things, hallelujah, and uh, love is in the air, I can feel it everywhere. Come on, right? Love is in the air. I can feel it everywhere. When we come into the house of God, man, that's like our song. Amen. <laughs> I hope you're feeling it. hope you're feeling it right there in your home. Love is in the air. We're having a, a love feast. Hallelujah. Well, he said, these are spots. In your love feast. When God looks, he sees these spots. While they feast with you without fear. No, there's, no, there's no respect, no reverence. They don't fear the God. They don't fear the word. They don't fear. The people of God is holy. They're just people. Serving only themselves. Serving only themselves. There's a lot of people, I want to serve in the church. And a lot of times, they just want to serve themselves. They're just thinking about their own ministry. Just building up their own ministry. Doing their own thing. I've got a calling. I've got a gift. I want to serve, but they're self-serving, and they're self-serving. And you know, over the years, I mean, I've been pastor in this church for 26 years, and, you know, you see people, and you can't, you can't promote them. You can't give them much because everything's about them, and, and they're not really a part of the team, you know? They're not, they're not a team player. They'll talk the right things. They'll say the right things. They'll act like the right things, but they don't got it. They just don't have the love and respect and fear. For the leadership. And so if you don't promote them, after a while, they begin to show their true colors. Next thing you know, man, next thing you know, they start saying all kinds of negative, nasty things. And they begin to show what was really in their heart. A lot of these people are self-deceived. we got to protect ourselves from being deceived. Right? Because that's what pride is all about. Pride is being self-deceived. Thinking things about yourself that's not true believe in lies about yourself. And so we don't want to we don't want to walk in pride. So we have to examine ourselves and make sure, hey, am I a team player? Do I really care about the body of Christ? Do I care about God's people? Do I care about God? Do I care about this church or do I just care about my position, my ministry and what God has for me to do? People like that you you can't you can't use them. We want to be people that really care about others. So you gotta practice this because selfishness is the nature of the flesh. It's the nature of the world around us. Everything's pulling on us to be selfish. And if you don't fight it and contend for the faith and don't resist it, that's why we need to see these things. We need to recognize the canes and the Balaams and the and the Koras and and we gotta recognize. All these different types of people and attitudes and things. We need to get our minds renewed and flush ourselves of these things. Of these kind of toxic attitudes and mindsets. All this pride and arrogance. We don't want to be a spot in the love feast. We don't want to become a spot. We want to be a blessing. But if you don't purpose to do it and you don't want to stay on top of yourself, it won't happen. You, Satan will turn you. You will get seduced. So you got to be a great. That's what the Bible says. Have fervent love for one another. you got to stir it up, man. you got to stir up love for one another. How, how do you do that? Well, one way you do it is you say it out of your mouth. Man, I, I love this one. I love that one. Man, I just love my church family. I just love my church family. When was the last time you said, I love my church family? Well, I do, I do. When was the last time you said, I love my church? I hear people say it a lot. But when's the last time you said it? Say. See? You need to be a part of that because you've got to be aggressive about these things. You've got to exercise the love. You've got to put your faith out there. You've got, to, you've got to stir it up. You've got to be passionate. If it's not coming out of your mouth, it's just not happening because that's the first place it starts. When something's in your heart and it's overflowing, it comes out of your mouth. So you've got to get it coming out of your mouth. You've got to get it going and Start speaking. You know, love for God, love for God's people. Start saying positive things. Do you just say negative things about people at church? You know, well, yeah, I don't know why the service went so low. Yeah, I don't know why. They're not, uh, uh, uh. Or you just don't say anything. You don't say anything, or if you do say something, it's kind of like a cut, kind of like a complaint. You've got to watch it. You'll be seduced. And next thing you know, you'll become warped. You'll become changed in your thinking. I've seen it happen to the best. I've seen it happen to some of the best of us. You have to protect yourself. You know, I don't care who you are. You've got to stay on top of this thing. Keep your attitude right, man. Keep your atti- Keep yourself in love. Yeah, but I'm telling you, they were wrong about it. Well, then go talk to them about it. Man, I'm not going to go talk to the pastor about it. Go talk to the pastor about it. You've got to, you've got to deal with this. You've got to go. Well, I know what he's going to say. You don't know what he's going to say? That's presumption. That's pride. You need to go. You need to get it straightened out. Because you might be wrong. And he might be able to help you to see it if you go there teachable. So go there teachable. And, uh, and say, hey, you know, you said this, or I saw this, or whatever. And let's, let's talk about it. But just, yeah, 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 just fall apart. You're being seduced. You're becoming a Cain. Do you want to be like Cain? I mean, he was a part of the family. He became a murderer. Murdered. A lot of people, they don't murder with a knife. They murder with their mouth. Right? The Bible says there's one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. Or we can say there's one who speaks like the shooting of a gun. Yeah, they shoot their mouth off. They shoot their mouth off and they're shooting words, bullets at people. Trying to destroy them. And um, they're murderers in the the sight of God. Murmurers are murderers in the sight of God. So never, never get yourself over there into murmuring, murmuring and complaining and whining. And we're going to see that here in just, uh, in just a moment. So he says, there are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Make sure you're not serving only yourself. I said make sure you're not serving, and only yourself would include Your family, your kinfolk, your kids, your wife, your husband, whatever. That's that's yourselves. We're talking about getting out of the box and serving others. All right? Make yourself a servant of others. They are clouds without water. He's trying to illustrate, trying to describe these guys. They're, number one, they're clouds without water. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, over in Proverbs chapter 25 and in verse 14. Notice what it says. It says, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain or without water. Again, Proverbs, whoever falsely boasts of giving, falsely boasts of giving, is like clouds and wind. It looked like they got something, but there's no rain. There's nothing there. It's just big, puffy clouds. It's just wind. They're just full of hot air. They're just lying. They're putting on an image of spirituality, you know. that. You know, you, know, getting, you know, people could talk spirituality and things like that. But again, you know, there's a saying in the world, and it really is true right here in, in what we're talking about tonight, that you got to put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. There's a lot of folks that will talk, talk, God, and then where's the money? Where's the money, honey? Where's your offering? Right? Where's your tithes? Where are your offerings? It's not there. You're an empty cloud. You're you're putting on an image of spirituality, and it's a big puffy thing, and that's all you are. You're just a big puffball floating around in the sky. That's all you are. You don't want to be a puffball. See these things to examine ourselves. That's what it is. We're just getting an examination tonight. Please don't get upset. Nobody's getting picked on. Remember, what is the purpose of the message tonight? Mercy, peace, and love. Those are the three things. Mercy, peace, and love. Oh, man, we're learning to get receive mercy tonight, right? We're, ah, peace, and love, glory be to God. That's what's happening tonight as we talk about your giving. So you talk about your money. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Be a giver. Be a giver. A, a lover is a giver. We don't want to be like, Ananias and Sapphira. You remember about them over in Acts chapter 5? How, you know, everybody was was selling land and selling property, and they were bringing the proceeds, all of it. They were bringing it to the church. They were laying it at the feet of the apostles to just distribute as each one has need. I mean, it's a move of God. The Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of generosity is moving. This grace of God is upon people to do these things, to think to, to think out beyond themselves, to say, well, I could really use that money. Boy, that money would really be great. I, I mean, I can't let go of that money. I mean, I mean, you know what I could buy with that money? They got out of that, and they were just thinking, give, be a blessing, help others, help this great move of God, the church of God, and so they were doing that, and so Ananias and Sapphira saw how people were giving, and, uh, and, and you know, they thought, well, you know what, uh, let's sell our land, and I think they probably started out probably pretty good, you know, they thought, well, we, we're going to do that, but then they begin to think, you know, we don't have to give the whole thing. You know, we did sell it, and man, we made some good money on that. Let's, let's keep back this, and we'll just tell them, you know, it's the whole thing. It don't make any difference. And so they walk up to the altar. People are throwing the money. There's a heap offering. You know, people are giving. People are excited about giving. And, oh, glory be to God, look what this one gave. And hallelujah, people are just celebrating. Everybody's giving, you know. Nobody's ashamed of it. Nobody's in pride over it. Everybody's just excited about giving. Nobody's uncomfortable talking about money. Man, that's freedom. That's freedom. So Ananias walks up there. And he says, this is, here, we just sold this land, and here's all the money. And everybody's like, wow, Ananias, that is awesome. And Peter just looks at him. The Spirit of God speaks to Peter and tells him he's lying. He's kept back part of the money. It's not the whole thing. So the Bible says in verse 3, Peter said to Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? In other words, you didn't have to give the whole thing. You could just told us, I'm giving you 25% of it. I'm going to keep keep 50%. I'm going to give you 50%. You know, praise God. Why are you acting like you're giving the whole thing when you're not? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Look at Ananias. Man, he's a church-going guy. He started out great. He's saved, man. He's born again. He he went and sold his land. He was diligent. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. And he gets the money, and now he's like, "Ah, Satan caused his heart to become full of pride. And he be- it became all about him and how he looked while he was giving. It corrupted him. Man, we got to guard ourselves from this pride. It corrupted him. Peter looked at him and said, you have not lied to men, but to God. And what happened? Ananias breathed his last. He dropped dead, fell on the floor. That's what happened. Died right there on the spot. Did he go to heaven? Probably not. He probably didn't. He died in his sin. Bible says there's no liar that enters the kingdom of God. That's what my Bible says. He lied. Probably went straight to hell. They came in. Some men came over, took his body out back, and they buried him out back right there outside the church. Now, you see these churches with gravestones, graveyards out in their backyard. That's probably where it came from. Well, a little while later, his wife comes walking in, you know. And Peter says, uh, did you sell the land for X amount of dollars? Oh, yeah, that's what we did. did you and that's what you gave? Yeah, that's what we gave. Why have you and your husband conceived this thing in your heart to lie like that? And again, boom. The same men that just buried your husband, they're, they're standing at the door, and they're going to bury you. She dropped dead right on the spot. Went down into the heart of the earth, more than likely. And that's where she is to this day. Good church, folks but they were changed overnight man we got to guard ourselves do you see this understand this also we're living in the last days men are lovers of themselves this kind of stuff's around us influencing us all the time man it's everywhere people you talk about a virus this is a virus it's a spiritual virus of deception and pride and darkness you got to you got to keep your, you got to guard yourself You've got to be more diligent with this than even a, a natural virus. This stuff will destroy your soul. Not just, it won't just make you sick physically. It will destroy you forever for eternity. So we have to protect ourselves. Don't you agree? Can you say amen? Praise God. Malachi 3.10, he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if, watch this, If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, that's the clouds, and pour out for you such blessing that there'll not be room enough to receive it. He says, bring your tithe in there and the windows, what's going to happen? It's going to rain. See, the clouds are going to empty themselves. The water is going to fall on your life. The blessing is going to fall upon your life. And so, again, whoever falsely boasts of giving falsely boasts of giving, is like clouds and wind without rain. No blessing. There's no blessing. There's no blessing that's going to come on your life. So, you know, again, tithing, giving, these things test us. They prove us where we're at with God. They really do. And we have to, we have to use that to help keep ourselves connected to the Lord, following Him, and, uh, and on track. Can you say amen out there? All right, praise God. And then he goes on here. We're still in, we're still in verse uh, 12. He said, They're clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead and pulled up by the roots. Notice that, late autumn trees. In other words, man, they have t- they've gone all the way through their season. And yet there is no fruit. There's no fruit coming off of their life. And they're late autumn trees. You know, I kind of picture, you know, trees, they change their colors and they start losing their leaves and things like that. It's such a beautiful time. You know, you look at these trees, they're just so beautiful. Late autumn trees. And, but, they're, but here he's saying these are late autumn trees and they're dead. And they're torn up by the roots. But again, outwardly, they look great. Outwardly, they look great. We need, we need to be more concerned about what's going on inside us than what's going on around us, right? That doesn't mean we neglect the outside but we need to be concerned of what's going on on the inside. Make sure we're rooted and grounded in God and our roots are going deeper. We're not just getting taller and going up higher. No, we want to make sure we're going deeper and deeper and deeper into relationship with God. We never want, we never want our ministry, our outreach, or any of these things to become bigger than our relationship with God. We never want, you know, people, a lot of people judge themselves based on their, oh, man, I'm doing good financially, and look, now I got a new house. I go, man, I just got the blessing of God on my life. I'm just so blessed. I'm a blessed person because I'm a spiritual person because look at me. Look what I drive. Look what I have, and I just think about all out here. Meanwhile, there's no roots going down. They're actually, the roots are getting pulled up. The roots getting pulled up. No, no, no. We need to make sure we're going deeper and deeper into our relationship with God. We're not forgetting and losing sight of our first love. We're staying with Him, we're staying with him. He's, he's everything to us, right? He's staying, he's staying with us. We are staying with him. Hallelujah. Late autumn trees without fruit twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. How many people want to talk about these raging waves of the sea? All right. We're going to do it next time. Lord willing. We'll pick this up next time. We've run out of time tonight. But we've had enough things to chew on anyway. If we start talking about the raging waves, it might just just overwhelm you, you know? You just drown out there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Praise God forever. Thank God for the Holy Spirit helping us. What's he doing? He's helping us to be able to handle these last days. That's what he's doing. He's helping us to be able to handle the last days. All the selfishness and the greed and the covetousness and the pride and the arrogance. That, unfortunately, has even gotten on a lot of Christians. we got to guard ourselves. we got to be a light. we got to walk in the love of God. Love and light working together in these last days. That's you and I. Hallelujah. Come on. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? Let's just magnify the Lord right now. Let's just magnify Him. Just thank Him right now. Thank you, Lord, for showing me these things tonight.
0: That concludes this message.